everybody. I'm happy to be with you. My name's Jeff, if we haven't met, and would love to get to meet you, actually. Uh, we are, I mean, Mark kind of hinted there, we are almost to Advent. Advent will start the last Sunday in November, um, which will bring an end to the, the year-long journey we've done in this series, a longer series than we normally do. We probably won't do this again, at least for a long time. But we've journeyed through the church calendar, and I've done it for a few reasons. One, and I'll, and I'll talk about this again before we're done. We have about three more weeks, two or three more weeks left in ad, uh, before we hit Advent. We're in ordinary time right now. Uh, but I've tried to present this as a discipleship tool from a number of different angles. But one of, one of the main reasons I did this, uh, even as I was reading and thinking and, and how does this work, why I go through this, is because I, I've been challenging us throughout the year to try to rethink how we arrange our time. So much of, of how we think about time um, has to do with, with, with our culture. And, and, and one of the main ways that we are defined by our culture is that we are consumers. And so we, we think about time through this consumeristic lens. And, you know, it, and the stores are already started. It's time to buy things for Christmas, right? That's the time of the year. No, 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 no. As Christians, we enter this season, but we use it with a different kind of meaning. No, it's time to prepare our hearts for the coming of our King. Amen? That's what we do. That's what we do. And so we've been practicing the church calendar as each season plays a role. And one of the things, if you ever get in, we're going to talk a bit about church history today. If you ever get into church history, you realize that the church calendar has its own, I mean, I don't even know the whole history of it, but, but a lot of even when they chose to celebrate, what they chose to celebrate wasn't because, it wasn't because we know without a doubt that Jesus Christ was born on December 25th. No, 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 that wasn't it. There was already, I mean, the church was just growing. It was a minority group for a while, and, and there was already a pagan holiday. And so the church was like, okay, we're still going to celebrate when everybody else is celebrating, but instead of celebrating that, we're going to celebrate this. And we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas time. And, he, and so, and so what, what do we do in the church? We get things saved. We saved some holidays. That's what we did. We celebrated them when everyone else was, but we, we infused them with new meaning. Now that worked really well for Christmas, right? And Easter, uh, Halloween has been a tricky one, right? Uh, but the church did, I mean, we do have, and that's what I want, we're going we're gonna, to, today is All Saints Sunday. And I was kind of praying through, I didn't have to do All Saints, I just, I'm working on All Saints Sunday, we're doing the church calendar, All Saints Sunday. Uh, what is All Saints? Well, it's, it's kind of a reappropriation, Hallow's Eve and All Saints Sunday was the time when the church decided we are going to remember the, what we could say the universal church or the, or the community of the saints and the community of the saints is those who, are, who have departed and are in Christ and those who are still alive today. So the church said, well, well all, uh, Hallow's Eve, October 31st, All Saints Day, November 1st, and this is the first Sunday, so it's All Saints Sunday. We are going to remember those who are in Christ. This is really, it's really personal for all of us. We all know somebody who has gone on in Christ. Really personal for me. I've told you, I've I've been talking about this, and I'm sorry, I will probably talk about it a little bit more, but I realize, like, a month from now, I will be the age my dad was when he died. It's kind of crazy and sobering. I'm like, my dad was old, I thought, and now I'm like, he was young when he passed away. A month from now, but my dad died in Christ. I mean, he's doing great, and I remember my dad today. 
He's a part of the community of saints. I mean, saints in the Bible, just anybody who's in Christ. And so, so all saints say we remember those who have departed and are in Christ. The other reason the church celebrated and infused this season with meaning, celebrated, is because in the early church, and this is something that we have to stretch ourselves. We know it happened, but we don't really think about it, is that people were martyred for their faith in the early church. And actually, if, if we were really living in those times, it'd be better for you than for me. Usually it was the pastor who was martyred, right? Because that was the leader of the church, and they were usually killed, you know, because of their, their faith in Jesus. And so what would happen is that you would know somebody who was really meaningful to you, who had invested in you, and had passed away because of their faith, and they were martyred for their faith. And so on All Saints Sunday, you would maybe visit their tomb just because you knew them. Now, of course, that can, that can get out of control, and throughout church history over time, that maybe got a little out of control, and people got a little obsessive about visiting sites of saints. But, but in, its, in its origin, it was just a pure, like, natural response. This person was murdered for their faith, and I'm, I'm honoring them on All Saints Sunday. So that's a little bit of the background as we're going through the church calendar of All Saints Sunday. And and so I had a choice, even. There was a, there was a text tied. I'm, I'm preaching through the Book of Common Prayer just this year. And I've been preaching the gospel text, and there's a, because I actually, I pray it. That's one of the things I do. I pray the gospel text every week in my own. It's helped me pray my way through the church calendar in my own personal time with Jesus. But there was a text tied to ordinary time this Sunday, and there's a text tied to All Saints Sunday. I want to talk about All Saints Sunday. Let's just do this. And so it was Luke chapter 6, 20 to 36, which was interesting because the first part of this I already preached on. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll read through it. I'm going I'm to say a few things about it before we, we read through it. But, but some of this is, I mean, a, this is a passage that you will know pretty well. Are you, you, and if you, if you haven't known it, it's, it's an amazing passage. But it's a very, very challenging passage on love. Jesus is going to talk about love. If you get to know me, you know I love to talk about the love of God. I feel like I'm in good company because the New Testament authors love to talk about the love of God. But one of the challenges with being a pastor talking about the love of God is that our culture has given us various definitions for love that don't equate to Jesus' definition of love. We talk about this a lot. But if you're new to CrossView, you might, I'm going to talk about the love of God, and you might be thinking what you think love is from your experience, and you're going to see even today that what Jesus says is something radically different, extraordinary. I mean, maybe you've never even thought nobody can live it, but Jesus is going to call us to this radical standard of love. Jesus is going to help us get clear on what he means by love. And I've been trying to do this throughout the last couple of weeks, really. You guys know this as we've gotten to some challenging passages of Jesus. Of course, you can always sit down and talk. And, I, and we will we'll talk about our enemies this morning. And, I, and I, in every relationship, there's a way of wisdom and a way of love. And sometimes you need your brothers and sisters to come alongside you and help you understand how do I, how do I live love in this situation. And so it, sometimes you can't just do a blanket statement over everything. But I, I do want you to hear the force of Jesus' words as a challenge this morning. Because what, what happens is we, we read it, we hear it as a challenge, and we immediately start to rationalize and make it more comfortable. Oh, here's an exception. Oh, don't do that yet. I'm not saying there's never space for that as we lean into the way of love and the way of wisdom. 
But just this morning, hear this with the force of what Jesus is doing as a challenge. Don't try to get around it. You may have questions. I would say, well, then you're in a great place because we are a church that values discipleship. And what are disciples? Disciples are those who learn. And I think one of the main things we're learning is how to follow Jesus in this way of love. And you don't already know it, and I don't either. And so it's good if we read through this text and you have a thought. We're going to talk about an enemy or difficult situations when people are not nice to you. And you say, I don't know how I could love like that. I say, you're in a great place because Jesus wants to teach you. And maybe, actually, you need him. There's a thought, right? Maybe you can't do this thing on your own. Or maybe there's somebody in your mind and there's just so much angst and you're like, "I I don't know how to love that person this. Well, that's okay. Jesus can teach you. Welcome to the journey of discipleship. You're in a good community for learning. It's a good place to be. So we're going to read through this, and it's, it's, it's extraordinary teaching. You will not be, but you know, you will not be an ordinary person if you follow Jesus down this road. Because most people won't do what this, what Jesus, because it's, it's a narrow road. It's harder to do. So the first half, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about this. It's the Beatitudes in Luke's gospel. Matthew has a longer version, but Luke has a few Beatitudes and some woes. Some of you will remember a few months ago we talked about this. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses, blessed are, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. And God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. And God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. I, I just wanted to comment on that one. I, there, was, there, was a, there was a week, a month or two ago, where I think every day of the week I met with somebody, a man and women, and every day of the week somebody cried when they were talking to me. And I went home and I kind of ironically told Kami, I'm like, part of my job is to make people cry. Like, what? I mean, honestly, I don't make anybody cry, right? It's the Spirit of God moving. I just get to witness it. But I will tell you, and you've heard me say this time and again, people's eyes water when they come alive to the love of God. <laughs> when there's this recognition in their heart and their mind that they are loved and valued called to be a part of this family, how much Jesus has given for them so that they can have life. And so even this last, I just think this last one, I think about how many times I've seen people just in moments of of beauty just respond to the movement of the Spirit with tears. Tears of healing is what I want to call them. You weep now tears of healing, and then as you're healed, then you laugh. Then joy floods your life. I mean, we could do this for all of these. I'm going a little quickly through this. And then verses 22 and 23, maybe why this text is tied to All Saints Sunday. Verses 22 and 23. What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil, even martyr you maybe, because you follow the Son of Man, because you follow Jesus. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a great reward awaits you in heaven, a blessing. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets that same way. So you get these four beatitudes, these four blessings, and then we move to these sorrows, or you might have a different translation in front of you, woe, they all, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. What sorrow awaits you, woe to you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. What sorrow awaits you who are fat and prosperous now, for a time of awful hunger awaits you. This is the opposite of of these 
tears of healing. What, what sorrow awaits you who laugh now? For your laughing will turn to mourning and sorrow, just loss, a recognition of how lost. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds for their ancestors also praised false prophets. Now, I talked about this, uh, again, a couple months ago, and so I'll be a little briefer, but what I told you then, I'll just say it again now as we're, as we're running through this, but Jesus is not a, a, a teacher of the status quo. <laughs> In other words, what I, what, what, I, what I want us always to remember is Jesus doesn't really come to us and say, oh, you're doing great, stay where you are. No, he always comes bringing change. And our posture, our heart's posture, our openness, our humility, our willingness to, to receive what Jesus has to give matters so much. And so if you can identify it all with those blessings, if you can, well, I know Jesus is coming to, the kingdom of God is going to rearrange things and I'm, I'm ready, Jesus, rearrange things. Well, then, then, then the kingdom comes as a blessing. But if you're like, ah, I like the way the world is. And Jesus, I don't want you to touch a thing. Don't touch a thing. Leave it as it is. Well, Jesus is coming to rearrange things. And so if that is your posture, if you're strong-arming what God is coming to change, then the kingdom comes as woe. It comes as sorrow. It comes as judgment. And so really, Jesus is coming. He's bringing his kingdom, and he's a good king. But our posture what we value, what we worship, has a big impact on how we receive the kingdom, whether whether we receive it as blessing or whether we receive it as woe. I'm, because it's All Saints Sunday, I spent a little bit more time in some of the early church leaders this week. And it was interesting, even some of the patristics, the early church fathers, they would, they would talk about the, the divine fire of love, the fire of divine love, just kind of as an image, even just from the Old Testament. And they would talk about how, 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 how your response, your relationship to the fire of divine love impacts what happens. And they would even talk about, and they would use like analogies like the pillar of fire in the wilderness or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. It was, it's almost like you look at that, the closer you are to the center of the fire, the more it's healing and comforting and protective. <laughs> Right, the Israelites in the wilderness next to the pillar of fire, they, they were protected and led and guided. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's that fourth person in the fire. And they're doing just fine. It's like they're having a great time in the middle of this fiery furnace. Seven times hotter, right? But, but, the, but, the, but the Egyptians, far away from the, this, then they experience that fire as judgment as the Red Sea crashes over them. Or the soldiers on the outside of the fire, they experience that fire, and it consumes all that is needed to be consumed by that fire, right? Blessing and woe and our response to God matters. That's part of what Jesus is communicating. And it's part of a bigger theme, a theme that we're going to talk more about, because after Thanksgiving, we're going to spend some time in Genesis, and I've already started on these, especially after Christmas, we're going to be in Deuteronomy, which is a, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing book. It's just a bigger book, and so I feel like I've got to get out in front of that so I know how to, we can't go verse by verse through Deuteronomy or we'll be doing it into 2032 probably, so I've got to kind of have a plan. Um, but this theme, whether you want to talk about beatitude and woe or blessing and curse is a major theme that I'm, I, want to, I want to introduce with some... Sp- thinking about the future for our church too. I want to introduce this theme because we're going to, especially when we talk about Jacob in Genesis, 
And, and we'll be looking for Jesus in Genesis is what we're going to do through Advent. But, but, but this theme will be very clear in the story of Jacob. And Deuteronomy ends with chapters on blessings and curses tied to the covenant. So we're, we're going to go deeper into this. There is this deeper theme that we're going to talk more and more about that I think is even helpful as we read the next few verses here. Uh, that God wants, he wants to bless us. His heart is to bless us, but we do so much to try to seize. Well, that's where we really with Jacob. We try to seize and scheme and grab the blessing on our terms and our timing. One of the things I, I, I don't know that I like to say this, but I do like to say it because I think it's true and I think it's hard for us to hear. But love is rarely the most efficient way forward. And so some of the reasons why we try to grasp and seize and take this blessing from God for ourselves rather than just trust that he'll provide it is because we're impatient and we want it now and we don't want to wait for God's timing. Or because we're, I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons, but, or because we're proud. We're proud and we want it on our, and, and, and sometimes this radical gr- gift of grace and forgiveness seems just too good, and it is too good. But it's almost like we're too proud to receive the gift. So we've got to try to prove to ourselves that we deserve. You don't deserve it. It just comes as a gift. And the more you fight it, the more you, you just don't open yourself up to what God wants to do. It's a part of the bigger backstory. And then you heard we are called to then follow Jesus. He reverses the curse through his crucifixion and resurrection. And then we are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus through this way of dying to self and rising again and believing that not on our terms or our timing, but on God's terms and, our t- and his timing, he will vindicate us and he will raise us up even if we're martyred, right? I think you need to have some of that bigger story in your mind as you think, God wants to bless you. But don't try to grab it on your own weight. With patience and humility, wait for his terms and his timing, and it'll come, and it'll be more, abundantly more than you asked or imagined. (laughs) But I think we need to keep that then in our mind as we read these next few verses, because they're hard. And I need to say this too, I've been a pastor long enough, this is one of the things I was talking about when I say relationships, like, in your context matters. What I'm going to read right now, I think, applies to most relationships in challenging ways. But if, and, the, and if statistics are true, it's unfortunately quite possible that at least one, maybe three or four of you are in an abusive relationship right now. If you are in an abusive relationship, what I'm about to read probably doesn't apply to your situation. And if you would be willing to trust us, I'd love to chat with you and talk with you and try to help you get out find freedom because God loves you and you were not meant to be in an abusive relationship. So context matters, but for most relationships, this is Jesus' calling to love and it should be hard. There should be part of you that says, I don't know how to do this. Jesus, teach me. Verse verse 27, Jesus says, to you who are willing to listen. Are you willing to listen? Because I hope so. Jesus says, I say, love your enemies. You ready? Do good to those who hate you. This is what we just heard in the video. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. 
if someone slaps you on one cheek, here's where we always, we always want to start to rationalize and find, find exceptions, right? But, but again, just let Jesus challenge you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. Maybe that, in other words, you and I are being formed in a culture that says immediately get defensive. And Jesus is saying, well, maybe you don't need to immediately get defensive. Maybe that's not... Maybe that's not the way that we end the curse and bring about this way of love and blessing into humanity. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Maybe your first instinct shouldn't be to protect what's yours. Maybe there's some deeper heart issues there that can reveal what you really love. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. And then this very powerful, do to others as you would like them to do to you, which always means, it doesn't mean, oh, well, if, I w- if me was living in their life, I know. No, it means understanding their story enough to know if I was living their life, this is what I would want done to me. <laughs> that takes a lot harder, that's a lot more work, it takes more time, it takes more conversation and listening. Verse 32, if you, if you love, again, this is still a challenge. If you love only those who love you, why should, this is, that's ordinary. Jesus says it's ordinary. It's not extraordinary. Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that. It's not, it's ordinary. It's not extraordinary. It's not the standard Jesus is calling us to. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Or I like to read this. You know, we've been talking about tax collectors and mafia the last couple weeks. If you love those who love you, the mafia does that. If you give money to those who are going to pay you back, the mafia does that. How are you any different than the mafia, right? That's what Jesus is saying. And he's right, right? Verse 35, love your enemies. I mean, love your enemies and and do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. And then, here's this, this this is the blessing that God wants to give you. And it's going to be better and more abundant, but it's going to come on his terms and his timing. Your reward from heaven will be, it says very great, very, very, very great. Like better than you can imagine great, like an eternity of flourishing in God's new creation forever, right? Like this is awesome. And you will truly be acting, because this is kind of the heart, why do we do this? Why would we love like this? Because that's the heart of our Father. You'll be acting as children of the Most High. You'll be bearing the image of the God in whose image you were made. Why? Because he's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Actually, can I say this? I was going back and forth. I'm going to say this. The kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of man. And I'm trying to remind us all the time that you and I are being formed. And there's a lot of political commercials on TV right now, and I haven't seen one that was kind. (laughs) But your heavenly Father is kind, even to those who are unthankful and wicked. And we are called to bear that image in the world. And it's unusual. I would call it extraordinary. Verse 36, you must be compassionate because your father is or your translation may say you must be merciful because your father is a cha- it's a cha- it's a challenging text 
but it's powerful. And if, again, if you want meaning and purpose in your life, if you want to be somebody who didn't just pray a prayer 20 years ago, but you still live by faith today, then follow Jesus on the narrow road. Because you will need faith every day for this journey, and you will need him to live this, because you still haven't learned it, neither have I. I was actually, I was trying to think through, like, because I revisit these verses regularly because they're powerful challenge from Jesus, and I'm still trying to learn love from him. I want him to define, Jesus is the embodiment of the definition of love. I want to learn it from him. And I was trying to think through, like, if, if there's anybody out there, like, just trying, if, if, if people are, like, upset with me about something or what does it look like to follow Jesus down this narrow road? And I was like, you know, I really do think if I can learn to be, like, first of all, I think we have to acknowledge our pain, and we have to go to Jesus for healing, and sometimes we have to pray out some imprecatory psalms so that God can heal some of the pain and the wound and the anger that is within us. And, and we need that. I mean, you can be angry, and you can pray it out. Read some of the psalms. There's some nasty psalms. It means your soul needs to get it out, so it doesn't, it doesn't contaminate. It's toxic. It'll eat away at your soul. So you get it out in the presence of God, and then you let God minister to you in ways that you can't do yourself. But then I was thinking, if I could be kind, right? People who are mean to me, if I can just be kind, you know what I could probably do? Or if people would know that I'm kind, you know what would happen? I think I could, because what happens is people are mean to you, and then they're af afraid you're going to be mean back. And if, I can, if we can end the cycle of retaliation and vengeance and practice forgiveness, that's one thing we are called to do. If we receive the forgiveness of God, we have to practice forgiveness. Maybe I can eliminate fear in my enemy's eyes. And if there's no fear, do you, do you, do you see how that just opens the door for so much kingdom potential? You don't have to be afraid. I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to try. I'm going to try to I'm gonna pray for you. I'm going to do good to you, even if you hurt me. And maybe as you lose your fear of me, we can just meet again. And we can be, and maybe the love of God will transform you as it's transforming me, right? It's a powerful passage. It'll change your life. So I thought what I would do then is since it's All Saints Sunday, I was thinking through, you know, the early church had a lot of enemies. I was trying to think through. And I've said this before, one of my favorites uh, is a guy named Athanasius. Uh, you, some of you have heard me say this, but when Jay was born, I, well, when Kami was pregnant, I was like, we should name this kid Basil Athanasius Kinnett. Kami said, no way. <laughs> so, but Athanasius was really involved. We'll talk about the night. We'll, we'll, we'll recite the Nicene Creed in just a few minutes. He was really involved with the Council of Nicaea in 325. Well, kind of involved. He was present, but he became a champion of the, what we would say the Nicene faith in the midst of what was called the Arian Controversy. And he handed the baton off to the great Cappadocians, one of which was Basil the Great. That's why Basil and Athanasius. I don't know why. I just remember the very first time I studied church history, I just loved these guys. So I, I was going back and forth on doing this, but I was having lunch with one of you this week, and you said I had mentioned Athanasius before and you didn't know anything about him. So I was like, I'm doing it. I'm gonna, we're going to talk about Athanasius just for a few minutes. Uh, as I said, he was one of the most renowned champions of Nicene Orthodoxy. He lived from 296 to 373, which means when we recite the Nicene Creed in a few minutes, it's 1,700 years old. Talk about something you should do on All Saints Sunday. 1,700 years of the church reciting this creed. Athanasius eventually became a bishop in Alexandria, 
when you want to talk about enemies, he was a bishop for 45 years. He was exiled five times from his hometown and lived 17 of those 45 years in exile, mostly like hidden in the monasteries out in the desert in Egypt. <laughs> Crazy life. And it was, very, it was real fear um, because I, won't, I, I just can't get into all this, but but politics and religion were really intermixed at this time. And the, the, the emperor had opinions, even though the emperor wasn't really educated on the Bible, had strong opinions about this because it impacted the empire. And Athanasius stood strong. He had many en- enemies. The, and if I could just boil this down, so theologically there was, you kind of had the Nicene people and then you had this Arian controversy And the easiest way to say it, and there's still cults like this today, actually, but if you were to take creator and creation, two categories that the Bible gives us, and you were to kind of draw a line between the creator and the creation, the Arians would say that God is here, the Father, on the side of creator, but Jesus is on the side, the Son is on the side of creation. That's what the Arians say. So you can imagine why I love Athanasius, (laughs) because he loved Jesus, (laughs) And he argued vehemently that Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. In fact, one of his most famous books, and you can read this. I, I, honestly, some Advents, I will read this. Uh, it's called On the Incarnation, with, a full, with an introduction by C.S. Lewis, just so you know. Athena, Lewis liked Athanasius. On the Incarnation, it's just about how awesome Jesus is. And one of his great images from this book, he said, you know what happens when a portrait that has been painted on a panel becomes obliterated through external stains? The artist does not throw away the panel, but the subject of the portrait has to come and sit for it again, and then the likeness is redrawn on the same material. Even so was it with the all-holy Son of God. He, the image of the Father, came and dwelt in our midst in order that he might renew mankind made after himself. In other words, humanity was made in the image of God, but through sin and rebellion we have distorted, we have ruined the portrait, and we have forgotten what the original looked like. And so the original has come in the person of Jesus, right? The ultimate image of the Father, everything God wants to say, the image of the invisible God has come in the person of Jesus, and now we see what we're meant to be again. Which again, why would we live this extraordinary way of love? Because it's what Jesus did. And we're called to be like Jesus. That's who we are. That's where you'll find who you were meant to be. Athanasius is really cool. Just some, a couple quick stories just to give you context. Again, I told you you had many enemies. At one time, the governor ordered the building to be surrounded. They didn't like what Athanasius was doing. And chaos ensued, and the congregation was there. And he ordered them to sing. He, sing Psalm 130. He knows they're after him. Sing Psalm 136 and repeat the refrain, his mercy endureth forever. So imagine the congregation, his mercy endureth forever. And the, and the soldiers are trying to bust through the crowd. And some of the leaders tried to protect Athanasius, and he passes out, and they carry him out into safety. And then he spends five years, as one of his exiles, five years with the monks, going from place to place, avoiding getting caught. Another story, the, the, the imperial authorities were trying to arrest him, and he, he was on a boat in the Nile River. And, and another boat came behind and said, have you seen Athanasius? 
And Athanasius responded, he said, yes, he is just ahead of you, and if you hurry, you shall overtake him. Totally true. (laughs) And so the boat passes by Athanasius, and he escapes again. Or maybe the other story that tells you, like, some of his clever, again, just funny ways of dealing with some of his opposition. At one point, there was slander going around, attacking his character. And people said, he's, Athanasius, he's, he's scary, he's evil, he's, he's murdered a man named Arsenius, and he's cut off his hand and used it for a, a, a magic rite. He's not, you can't trust this guy, he's, he's evil. So at one point, there's this big crowd gathered, Athanasius has placed himself where there's a big crowd, and there's all, everybody's mad, they've heard the rumors, the slanders, who are you, you're just some kind of evil magician. And so Athanasius brings out a man in a cloak, and he makes sure that there's a few people there who knew Arsenius before he was killed. And then the man pulls off his hood, and it's Arsenius. And everyone's like, oh, he's not dead. But you still cut off his hand. And so he just waits and lets him get into a fervor until someone finally just makes the accusation. And the guy reaches out his hand, and it's there. Oh, it's the other hand. So he reaches out the other hand, and it's there. And Athanasius says, what, did you think he had three hands? <laughs> and everyone laughs, right? But, and, and, they, and then they saw, like, some of the lies that were just being propelled by those opposing Athanasius and what he was teaching. He's, just a, he's a funny guy. He's an interesting guy. But where I want to wrap us up here as we kind of get to the Nicene Creed, the last, the last thing I'll tell you, it was actually pretty interesting. I don't think I had, I had really paid much attention to this before, but in the same way that uh, I started talking about how you and I can use the word love but mean something different. And we want to learn from Jesus the true meaning of what love is. It's also possible that we can mean the same thing but use different words. You understand how that can happen? And you think about all kind of some of the, some of the disagreements happening in our world today or maybe just even in your family. You can mean the same things but, but use different words, and, and, but then you don't ever really understand each other, and then you just, you're fighting the whole time. And, and Athanasius knew this. And, there were, and there were, there was, there's all this conflict in the church, and so he calls, he's, he's got a lot of credibility, and he calls a peace conference. And he brings some people who are, who are heading toward, you know, they're, 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 they're more towards the Nicene faith, but maybe, maybe of they're not really sure. There's some that have, have, have been even labeled semi-Aryans. And he bring, I won't get into the Greek words. I could tell you them, but I won't get into this. But, but he brings people together, and they're using different words. But he makes them sit down and explain why they like this word, and he questions them. And, and what, what happens in the early church, all these factions come together, and Athanasius creates a space where they realize they all mean the same thing. And they all believe the same thing, and they all believe in the one true God. It was a very powerful for the early church, and it, again, helped, prop- helped, helped protect the church in the midst of attack. Athanasius stood up and brought peace and unity to the people of God. If you, if you Google Athanasius, you will see at one point he felt like it was Athanasius against the world. <laughs> it wasn't really. I mean, the monks were there for him, but in, but in, in the city, it felt like Athanasius against the world. But here's a man who had many enemies, but he didn't compromise his character in Christ. Uh, he, he was kind, he was thoughtful, he was creative, he was honest. But he sought peace and he defended the truth of the faith in creative ways. And I think we have a lot to learn from some of those who have gone before us. I just wanted to share one story with you on All Saints Sunday. 
And because he was so active in protecting what we would call Nicene Orthodoxy, I want to invite you, if you will, we'll we'll recite the Nicene Creed together and then then I'll pray. So if you just want to follow along with me. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. So you can even see in there how they're like spending a lot of time making sure that you know who Jesus is. And I do like to clarify, Catholic there means universal. It doesn't mean Roman Catholic Church. It means the universal church. That's what the word means. And so as you're confessing that, that's what you're confessing. But I'm going to invite you to pray now. If you'll bow your heads, we're going to pray and prepare our hearts to participate in the life of the living Jesus as we receive communion together, participate, partake of the body and blood of Christ in a very mysterious way. We can't explain it, but we confess it. So we'll we'll, we'll turn our attention to Jesus. Jesus, first, because it's communion, we, we know we're actually in a rhythm. We understand this is a beautiful day to confess our sins. I mean, truth is every day is a beautiful day. But particularly on Communion Sunday, because there's such a tangible reality of what you gave for us to have life, we confess our sins. We confess our love of self. We read through this challenge to love even our enemies, and it's hard because we love ourselves so much. We confess our sin, our pride, our impatience. And and we're going to corporately acknowledge that we don't know how to love like you. And we need you to teach us. Holy Spirit, we just confessed you as well. We need you to empower us. We need you to change us so that we can love like this. We need you to equip us. And we want to learn this way of love, Jesus, and only you can teach us. So wherever you're at on your spiritual journey this morning, if you can say this morning, I confess my sins and I acknowledge, Jesus, that you are my Savior and my Lord. I confess that I can't live this way of love and I need you to disciple me, to teach me, to train me, to show me how to live this way, to lead me down the path of love. Then we will participate together here, Jesus, now. We will participate in this joyous meal, this celebration of life.
We confess our sins and we celebrate what you did to save us from our sins, to teach us this way of love. In your name, amen.